breathlessly along beside him. We can still be friends, can't we? He felt her gaze on his face. Can't we? He stopped and turned to face her. Myra, you're the sort of girl who ends up in a ditch with her stockings round her neck. He walked on more slowly. After a while, her hand came creeping through his arm, and after a moment's hesitation, he left it there. Have you got a girl? she said. A brief struggle. Yes. She nodded, satisfied. Thought you had. Lying, little git, aren't you? Friday night you said you hadn't. We both said a bellyful on Friday night. At the underground station he bought her ticket and she reached up and kissed his cheek as if nothing had happened. Well, he thought, nothing had happened. On the other side of the barrier she turned and looked as if she might be regretting the evening they'd planned. But then she gave a little wave, stepped out onto the moving staircase and was carried smoothly away. Outside the station he hesitated. The rest of the evening stretched in front of him and he didn't know what to do. He thought about going for a drink, but rejected the idea. If he started drinking as early as this, and in this mood, he'd end up drunk, and he couldn't afford to do that. He had to be clear-headed for the prison tomorrow. He drifted aimlessly along. It was just beginning to be busy, people hurrying to restaurants and bars, doing their best to forget the shortages, the skimped clothes, the grey bread. All winter, it seemed to Pryor, an increasingly frenetic quality had been creeping into London life. Easily justified, of course. Soldiers home on leave had to be given a good time, they mustn't be allowed to remember what they were going back to, and this gave everybody else a magnificent excuse for never thinking about it at all. Though this week it had been difficult to avoid thinking. Haig's April 13th order of the day had appeared in full in every newspaper. He knew it off by heart. Everybody did. There is no other course open to us but to fight it out. Every position must be held to the last man. There must be no retirement. With our backs to the wall and believing in the justice of our cause, each one of us must fight on to the end. Whatever effect the order had on the morale of the army, it had produced panic among civilians. Some women, apparently, were planning in all seriousness how they should kill themselves and their children when the Germans arrived. Those atrocity stories from the first months of the war had done the trick. Rather too well. Nuns with their breasts cut off. Priests hung upside down and used as clappers to ring their own bells. Not that there hadn't been atrocities, but prisoners of war were always the main victims, and the guilt was more evenly distributed than the press liked to think. There were times, and tonight was one of them, when Pryor was made physically sick by the sight and sound and smell of civilians. He remembered the stench that comes off a battalion of men marching back from the line, the thick yellow stench, and he thought how preferable it was to this. He knew he had to get off the streets, away from the chattering crowds and the whiffs of perfume that assaulted his nostrils whenever a woman walked past. Back in the park, under the trees, he began to relax. Perhaps it was his own need that coloured his perceptions, but it seemed to him that the park on this spring evening was alive with desire. Silhouetted against the sunset, a soldier and his girl meandered along, leaning against each other so heavily that if either had withdrawn, the other would have fallen. It made him think of himself and Sarah on the beach in Scotland, and he turned away sharply. No point thinking about that. It would be six weeks at least before he could hope to see her again. Further along towards Marble Arch, the figures were solitary, Army boots tramped and slurred along the paths, or in the deepest shadow jetted sparks. He sat on a bench and lit a cigarette, still trying to decide what to do with the stump of his evening. He needed sex, and he needed it badly. Tossing off was no use, because... because it was no use. Prostitutes were out because he didn't pay. He remembered telling Rivers, who'd been his doctor at Craig Lockhart War Hospital, the loony bin where he'd spent five months of the previous year, about a brothel in Amiens, how the men, the private soldiers queued out onto the pavement and were allowed two minutes each. "'How long do officers get?' Rivers had asked. 
I don't know, Pryor had said, longer than that, and then, spitting the words, I don't pay. No doubt Rivers had thought it rather silly, a young man's ridiculous pride in his sexual prowess, his ability to get it free, but it was nothing to do with that. Pryor didn't pay because once, some years ago, he had been paid, and he knew exactly how the payer looks to the one he's paying. Got a light? Automatically, Pryor began tapping his pockets. At first he hardly registered the existence of the speaker, except as an unwelcome interruption to his thoughts, but then, as he produced the matches, some unconsciously registered nervousness in the other man's voice made him look up. He had been going to offer the box, but now he changed his mind, took out a match and struck it himself. The rasp and flare sounded very loud. He cupped his hands to shield the flame and held it out as the other bent towards it. An officer's peaked cap, dark eyes, a thin moustache, defining a full mouth. The face rounded, though not fat. Pryor was sure he...